over the course of a decade or more of EHR use and, and regulatory requirements and billing. And we've inflicted a death by a thousand cuts. And, and the, the solutions are a thousand band-aids uh, and there, there's not a panacea. to the Better Care Podcast, where we tell the stories of clinicians, healthcare leaders, and innovators who are improving the way clinicians work and deliver care. On today's episode, Evidence Care's Dr. Brian Fengler interviews Dr. Damon Broyles, VP of Clinical Innovation for Mercy Technology Services. Damon shares the evolution of EHR technology from his various roles in health systems and the initiatives that have his focus currently. He highlights the importance of using technology for clinician wellness and vocational satisfaction and using data science to address chronic diseases and social determinants of health. This episode was recorded live for a virtual audience. And one quick disclaimer is that Brian's internet disconnected toward the end of the interview. So you'll hear my voice jump in to continue the conversation for a few minutes. And then Brian picks up where he left off. With that said, enjoy this episode with Brian Fengler and Damon Boyles. I'm very honored to have with me today, Dr. Damon Broyles. Damon is the VP of Clinical Innovation for Mercy Technology Services, part of Mercy's Office of Transformation. He's a board-certified family physician and a fellow in the American Academy of Family Physicians. He has subspecialty certification in clinical informatics. Prior to his current role, Damon served as the CMIO for St. Anthony's Medical Center, he serves as medical director for Mercy's Department of Precision Medicine. He volunteers as an entrepreneurial and health IT mentor at Sling Health, a national biotech and healthcare incubator with roots at Washington University. He participates on a community of health innovation leaders for the Global STL uh, Initiative and serves on the Missouri Biotechnology Board of Directors. He has previously served as president of the St. Louis Academy of Family Physicians, and he represents Mercy's perspective on an array of digital health and biotech board appointments. We are coming to you live today uh, with an audience that is joining us virtually. Uh, so for those attending, please feel free to ask questions in the chat, and uh, we'll get to those as we go through the podcast today. Damon, very happy to have you joining us. I know we've gotten to know each other a little bit over the past six months or so, but looking forward to diving deeper into your background today and uh, some of the initiatives that you're working on at Mercy. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, tell me a little bit about your upbringing and, and why you chose medicine as a career path. Well, I, I think like quite a number of physicians, um, obviously an affinity for science was uh, one of the things that uh, drew me into medicine. I know that there's a whole number of mathematicians and physicists that would argue that those are the truest of the sciences, and I, I wouldn't argue with them. I really uh, gravitated towards the biological sciences because I, it just, for me, was more intuitive. It seemed like there was sort of narratives um, that you could incorporate into how you understood the, the world around you and human physiology. Um, so I just was always fascinated with those things. I also had kind of this um, overlay of uh, my father working in the medical division of Hewlett Packard. So I was exposed to medical technologies and uh, his experiences in hospitals and 
in physician offices, uh, you know, gave me some early perspective, had, you know, the gift of a number of really fantastic family medicine physicians who kind of solidified, you know, in that time frame of high school and early college, well, this is the type of medicine that I want to practice. The idea of generalism, um, being an expert in, in those things that are, are, that are general knowledge was really of interest to me. And it was intriguing. Um, and the fact that you, you know, really can be well-versed in all of these things, um, that variety uh, of clinical practice was something that certainly in, in medical school was uh, particularly intriguing. So it's kind of my backstory of why I ended up in the, in the family medicine side of things as uh, an early uh, physician in a physician organization that was relatively new and had an opportunity to be involved in the, the technology of the, well, here's an EHR or this is the EHR initiative. Um, we sh- probably should get one. You know, people, you know, yeah, I got fingers pointed at me and said, hey, you're, you're being voluntold to go out and figure this out, uh, which was a fantastic early learning experience. And so my ad hoc uh, activities and doing that type of thing, um, learning by doing, really transition into, hey, can you teach these other physicians now that you have some experience in it? Realize that that was enjoyable. There was a lot of internal gratification that I got from um, helping other colleagues with uh, the understanding of how the technology can better serve them. And let's be honest, early on, you know, the technologies were pretty rudimentary. And so helping them figure out how this wouldn't be such a burden to them um, was also part of that. Flash forward to today, I think we're getting to a place where we can start lifting those the, those things off of docs and really transforming uh, the idea of, of what it means to have an electronic record. But obviously the early work and those sorts of things was trying to make the best of the EHR capabilities, really pushing you know what it could do and um, you know, adapting uh, and helping others adapt to the deficiencies and the the things that were more cumbersome and awkward about it. Now, you were um, CMIO at St. Anthony's for, for over 10 years. Is that correct? Um, I had uh, ended up as a CMIO position. I've probably had that for that named position for about three or four years. But prior okay. to that, was uh, IT director for the hospital and the physician organization. Um, and then um, kind of a role previous to that was the IT and IS uh, medical director for our physician organization. So I graduated up through and matriculated up through increasing responsibility. I was lucky enough to have a fantastic mentor and a CIO that was also kind of moving into those increasing positions of, of responsibility and grabbed me by the the coattails and, and kind of pulled me along. And so he was someone that had uh, good experience in large health systems before. So he, he gave me some some early lessons in the, the ecosystem of a hospital. And, and again, being a generalist, being in healthcare IT um, for a hospital, for a physician organization, it wasn't just confined to the EHR. It was the, you know, the billing and coding systems. It was the, the EVS systems. It was dietary. So you got a, an array of opportunities to learn all the intricacies of how systems work together. Uh, which was was pretty critical in, in being able to get a wide lens um, and develop further as a clinical informaticist. Nice. So you you've been in an executive role at Mercy for about five years now. How have you seen the organization evolve? Maybe 
kind of before COVID, through COVID, and then after COVID? What have been some of those big, you know, transitions as an organization? Sure. Um, so I, I wouldn't be any surprise to to your viewers to to learn that you know prior to COVID, we probably thought we were going to be dragging um, clinicians and clinical staff into a, a more of a virtual world um, and utilizing you know the the array of virtual tool sets and digital outreach. But you know, obviously with COVID and the and the crush of of all of the urgent and emergent clinical uh, uh, realities, we had to spin things up very, very quickly. Um, we had done some work in uh, our video visit playbook um, prior to, um, and we actually were in the process of kind of slowly rolling that out, um, uh, you know, before before COVID. And um, that was extremely helpful because we were able to say over the course of a weekend, you know, here's what we have, here's how to do this, you know, here's the things to look for. And, and be able to hand that over to our clinical leaders who are articulating that need. And then we built off of that. But um, the digital outreach side of things, you know, we're, we're because of the, the needs of patients that just far outstripped our, our system resources and our clinical resources, we were also innovating workflows and processes and digital outreach tools, working hand in hand with our patient experience folks, with our Office of Clinical Excellence um, to, to put into place things that um, we had you know COVID patient monitoring, daily check-ins. We had been doing work with a group called Care Signal for some time prior to that, and you know some of their infrastructure was particularly helpful. We ended up working with our software engineering teams to um, to build complementary strategies. It was you know, certainly something that everybody got comfortable with extremely quickly, and really set the stage for the ability to pivot towards chronic disease management and the. The other thing that was really important and I think was was well laid out because it does not something that you transition quickly in a, in a large health system was a shift towards being really all in in, in value-based purchasing and, and population health management. Uh, and, you know, that's something that really probably started four years uh, before COVID, you know, about the time that I started my, my tenureship with Mercy and we were having conversations around how do we change the language of success from fee-for-service world to just starting to get people socialized around uh, population health? I you know, had the benefit of, of working in a physician organization early on that was very ahead of its time, I would say, um, in terms of risk-based contracting and value-based care. And so this was something that as a family medicine doc made incredible amounts of sense. Um, and I'd seen firsthand how that really drives um, and aligns performance and quality and and reduces utilization. But that was a, a you know relatively smallish physician organization doing something with a, a, an organization the size of Mercy. You have to really start planning the navigation and that's a separate process than actually navigating. And so um, we had been doing that and adjusted our organization to have much more of an emphasis and an alignment of our population health teams and our primary care teams. And now we just went through a, another a reorg where we actually have a you know three performance divisions. One is population health and primary care, and they are inextricably linked. They, it's really hard to separate them at all. Um, and I think rightfully so. And then we have a specialty performance division and operations slash hospital. And the goal there um, is, is really to, to emphasize that 
you're not a diabetes patient in the hospital or a diabetes patient in the primary care clinic. You are a patient with diabetes and you may happen to be in any one of those clinical care settings, including most of the time, not in a brick and mortar facility. You're, you're out here doing your thing, trying to stay healthy and maximize your disease processes. And so that's where we ended up. Um, but that also was a change that occurred over a, a, you know, a couple of years prior to and throughout the, the COVID pandemic. And that gave us a great understanding of you know, how we could take all of these tools that were specifically deployed for COVID management and make sure that they were extensible and that they were easily redeployed for uh, chronic disease management. And, and frankly, that was one of the charges of our senior leadership team as we were doing these things was you know, the COVID pandemic will end. It feels like it's never going to, but it will. And we need to be able to say all of these technologies and all of this build, we can't shelf it. It has to be easily able to be uh, repurposed and to to move quickly and agilely in a value-based environment. Now, in a value-based environment, um, does Mercy as a health system have your own payer or, or are those all relationships and contracts that you have with payers that are value-based? Yeah, we um, we do not have our own um, uh, payer system. Uh, we're not an IDM, but we we do have a very large cohort of patients who are coworkers, and so you know we're we're kind of there. I mean, that's that's an area that we do a lot of value based pilot process development work for um, because we control more of those levers. It's easier to message the why um, mm-hmm. to that group of folks, and frankly. Um, they're on the front lines. And, and so if we have a care innovation that we think is going to be super beneficial, then obviously it's a supremely important population to, you know, to be taking uh, good care of. The rest of it is our contracts with, uh, with outside payers and obviously the big value-based care programs with CMS. And we have, uh, you know, fairly progressive relationships with uh, with those folks. And insurance companies are, are massive. Uh, and so there's, you know, different cohorts inside the, the those payers that are probably more progressive and less progressive. But we, because of the execution in quality and the improvements on utilization and all of the, the successes that we've had, it really is accelerating the ability to develop payer and, and program innovations. And that's kind of our goal is to really be setting the pace um, and then everyone else has to keep up um, and everyone is, you know, to be proactive so that others are reactive. And I think that holds true for both um, other incumbent health systems as well as startups. In a diffusion of innovation uh, scenario, if we're taking the best innovations from our startups um, that are trying to compete in this space or trying to break through and we're adding those to what we know that we do well. And in Mercy, we have a singular comprehensive epic instance. We went through about three years ago, um, a consolidation of three separate but identical epic instances. And now a huge product, you know, huge initiative and program, but now there is, you know, zero difference from a record keeping and decision support and predictive analytics um, capability. If you're a patient in um, St. Louis metropolitan area or Ada or Blue Eye, Arkansas, or any of these places, um, you're going to have the same uh, ability to have a comprehensive, cohesive chart. And so that's a massive advantage from a competition standpoint, regardless of 
who the competitor is. And if we can successfully adopt all of these upstart strategies and fold them in, then, then we've raised the bar for entry, right? We're kind of continually pushing what is required to enter in as a startup. Well, you know, that's no longer here. It's up here. Yeah. I mean, that that is so huge that you guys have sort of um, taken your medicine in the past and are now reaping the benefits because, you know, we know many health systems that are in the midst of that right now. And and unfortunately, their whole IT resourcing is is in, in clinical informatics is is tied up for the next two years, you know, just trying to consolidate EHR instances and get the whole organization on a single instance. So that's amazing that you guys have already completed all that. We benefited from some pretty visionary leadership um, that's, you know, foreseen mm-hmm. the, and understood the, the how integral this was um, to be able to, to use as a force multiplier, frankly. Yeah. Um, and we know from experience, even being on three identical instances, there was so much that we couldn't take advantage of, whether it be a native Epic feature that we had to kind of build for, you know, that patient that maybe crosses instances. And so it has, you know, can't just be deployed out of the box or, you know, using and working with other um, outside innovation vendors to be able to, to really quickly deploy um, something that, that is best of breed and adds value to the uh, ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Well, I always like to ask uh, this question, which I ask every, everybody is, um, what do you see as some of you know, Mercy's top initiatives right now. And I don't know if you want to give top three, top five, but always like to get a, an idea for kind of what you think those top initiatives are. I can, uh, you know, the, the things that come to mind are the things that I, you know, the themes that I get emailed about, um, you know, near on a near daily basis, different ways to approach the problems, but the themes are, are pretty similar. And you know, so the one that, you know, that comes to mind right away, vocational satisfaction in clinician wellness. Uh, and as we kind of mentioned before, we've, we've really, over the course of a decade or more of EHR use and, and regulatory requirements and billing, you know, we've inflicted a death by a thousand cuts. And, and the, the solutions are a thousand Band-Aids uh, and there, there's not a panacea. Although I think some of the generative technologies um, applied judiciously have a potential to be a step change and, and really uh, a huge accelerant in the provider uh, wellness and vocational satisfaction arena. We can talk more about that uh, uh, in a bit, but the blocking and tackling is really just going in and, you know, let's clear this decision point off. Like we know that we don't need it. Why are we asking it? Uh, we know that we can glean that information further upstream and the um, physician and nursing efficiency questions are just an everyday thing. Like how do we you know, continue to push that ball forward? And honestly, a lot of the innovation that we do is working with our clinical leaders and partners to do process innovation, to do workflow innovation, um, because technology is a part of it, but the build can enable new ways to think about how you deploy resources and new processes that don't tie up the the cognitive processes of, of being a nurse or a provider, but the most efficient process is the one that you don't have to do. So if we can if we can look in and do prediction um, and be proactive um, with the help of our data science team, um, get upstream of the inner of the encounter, get upstream of the intervention, and do it for our clinicians, 
then that's a that's a better, more efficient solution because we're not even asking them to do an, a more efficient process. We're just saying you don't need to do this at all. Uh, so those are the ones that are the most gratifying with regard to that type of of uh, wellness work and efficiency work. We mentioned data science, and that is another uh, area of, of huge emphasis. Uh, I mean, we are incorporating all of our data sets, be they from our clinical operating systems like Epic or from our CRMs, uh, or from you know all of these other the the Radonc uh, uh, technologies and the, and those uh, those machines, really trying to gather up all of that data and those data points, feed them up into an intelligent data layer that is you know able to look across all of those uh, potential patterns, find relationships, um, find areas where you know we can get upstream of illness. Uh, it's really fitting. It, it kind of is a nice corollary. To our the sisters of mercy, you know, one of the things that they would do is is get out and walk amongst their their community, which kind of frowned upon at the time, uh, interestingly. But their whole goal and their founders um, was uh, really clear on get upstream of illness, find the things that are the precursors um, to why folks show up in such a, a, a sorry state of affairs and and with end stage illness, and, and fix those things that are there which speaks to social determinants of health, right? It just echoes through the, the, the ministry of, of Mercy Healthcare. Uh, and that's, a, a, you know, again, another area of emphasis where you know, we are looking to not just identify, hey, this is a patient that has uh, housing insecurity. This is someone who has food insecurity. Because if you just identify it and you don't give your clinicians an easy way to solve for it, you're just making that, you're bumming them out. You're making them sad. Well, you know, I'm going to prescribe this other medicine, but I know it's really not going to be um, something that you're going to be compliant with because you have these other, your pyramid of needs has all of these other um, more important, more pressing issues. And so being able to work with um, vendors um, on the outside that can source the solutions to those problems, we've done a lot of work in that space. And essentially, how can I prescribe something that is as easy to get at as um, you know a medic an expensive diabetes medication. How can I get you know healthy food out there? How can I get um, resources to, to this patient so that they can uh, much more easily um, fix the issues that are driving their housing insecurity or you know a need for um, you know upskilling in the workforce or all of those things that we know impact our our, our patients' uh, course of health and their disease trajectories. The other aspect, and we talked a bit about this, is the population health, all of the levers to be successful there. And those are you know, massively important. So we have a whole bunch of initiatives related to documentation and coding and making sure that we are effectively gathering up and communicating you know, what is the, the general illness level of our patient population so we have enough resources to care for them. Um, we're looking at access. Uh, we have this huge array, and it's really exciting over the last year and a half to see the different ways that our patients can access primary care at Mercy. It's very deliberate uh, strategy on the part of our uh, patient experience uh, colleagues to be able to say, no matter what today brings for you as a patient, there's a primary care effective clinical option that meets your needs. Um, and so that is something that part of that is being able to give our clinical offices the ability to act as their own virtual care center and have each of those options that is the most effective for the patient at that point in time 
be frictionless for the provider and for the clinical staff. Because it can't be a zero-sum game. It can't be something where we you know, say to the patient, say, we're going to make this easier. And the trade-off is, oh gosh, you know, for the clinical staff, that's going to be something that you have to adapt to and figure out how to work into your already busy schedule. You have to find those durable solutions that, that um, benefit both sides of that equation. And then those are sustainable. They stick because people want to keep using them. Um, uh, you know, on both sides of that uh, of that uh, provider patient equation, patient experience in general um, for population health obviously is is very important. And then the quality of care and you know Mercy historically has been you know uh, a very very high achiever in, in quality metrics. And it is it's not just the um, are you doing the right thing for the patient and are you getting the interventions to the patient that they need, but it's also this other very complex layer of, are you communicating that you're doing those things? And we just had a, a meeting this morning. We were you know, talking about with our, our experts in the quality data abstraction, you know, and, and talking about how the, uh, the communication of influenza vaccine status has changed from this year to what it was previously. And those are just massive machines of moving parts. All our providers and our clinic staff wants to to take care of is just tell me who needs a flu shot uh, make it easy for me to do that and you know don't make me go navigate all of this arcane um, language and documentation strategy to, to make sure I get credit for it so to speak right they just care about is this patient protected from flu are they not going to show up in the ER and that's the way it should be uh, and so it's you know it's our job on the technology side um, to make that stuff invisible as best we can. And unfortunately, it gets, you know, we're, we're regularly challenged. We're regularly challenged by, you know, payers who decide that, um, oh gosh, a CPT category two is the best way to communicate our quality, uh, you know, scores. I mean, it's just like, it's kind of mind boggling to, to some extent. And it's really frustrating when you think about all of the data that is contained inside of an EHR about what actually was done that we don't even have to document. It's just in there generating user action logs. It's in there, you know, how long did you spend looking at, uh, you know, the, the radiograph? What did you do after you did the medication reconciliation? Like all of that extra metadata is sitting in there and, and we're continually, now we had this big change to our, um, our, our coding and documentation guidelines and the E&M codes and all of that a couple of years back, but we are still in a place where as you accelerate into value-based care, you're kind of swapping those, those documentation uh, reductions for other documentation necessities to say, oh, you, you have to say that you did this. You have to say that you did this. And my hope is that we don't sort of replicate that original sin and the EHRs that we could have gotten ahead of. And we use more of the, the back-end connectivity and the interfaces and and those types of things to just do that on an invisible level. Um, so we're not inflicting that sort of new beast of burden on our, on our clinicians. Yeah. One of your roles is to find innovative technologies and then, you know, bring them into Mercy. You know, what are maybe a few innovative solutions? Um, and you can mention company names if you want to, if you're able to, you can just talk about use cases, but what are what are some innovative solutions you'd like to highlight? Well, I think one of them that we're really in the midst of is working with a group that does 
scanning and, and more particularly they do indexing uh, automation. Uh, and this is one that's been sitting out there for a while. It was a, a, a challenge to um, to generate the ROI documentation on it because the impact in our ambulatory clinics was really we're going to take low value work away from this this wide array of individuals, front desk folks, nurses. I mean, it's, this work was done by just a, a, a potpourri of clinical staff members who arguably and easily all should be doing other higher level things, mm-hmm. higher touch patient activities, and we get rid of it and allow them to to do all of those other things. And that's a little bit of a challenge to make that argument because it's, you know, it's automation, but the point is automating so that folks can work at top of license. And I think, you know, to some extent we were helped because there was an undeniable crisis in staffing levels. It, it is, you know, readily apparent that we just don't have enough people in, in any clinic uh, across the, the Mercy footprint or, or healthcare in general. And so that really drove kind of a, a rethink of how valuable is this? And so, you know, this is something that we're very excited about. You know, other systems have some time ago done this type of work, but it fits with our uh, emphasis on automation and the workforce challenges that we that we have throughout the health system. What's your definition of indexing? Um, so, you know, if you think about, okay, here's an outside document. It might be an echocardiogram. It might be something that a diabetic uh, retinopathy exam, any any of these types of clinical documents that are not integrated because they're coming in from uh, from non-mercy entities. That's a long and drawn out and somewhat convoluted process to actually get that piece of paper or that digital fax into the right spot in the chart. And, and we've distributed that task across you know, thousands of people, there's going to be variability in how it's done. There's going to be places that it gets put in the chart and it's not the right place. And, and again, it's it's work that shouldn't really be done by a human being because it's rote, it's tedious, um, It's they should be doing better things uh, with their time. And so when we do this type of, of automation, we're really freeing people up to more effectively practice medicine as a clinic and as a uh, care team. I think we might have lost Brian. I came in. Uh, I thought so. As backup, just in case, we'll do audience questions as an intermission. But one that I had, and you had started talking about AI a little bit. But do you think frontline clinicians are more optimistic or pessimistic about generative AI making their work more efficient? Oh, I, I think massively more optimistic. You know, I think that they're not in technology. There might be some nuance that they would readily admit. I'm, I'm not sure, um, that, you know, how exactly it's going to interact and and make this work better. But there, there's so much complex administrative tasks that are part and parcel uh, of medicine that this is, I think, seen to, to almost a person as something that has a, a vast and enormous capacity for I- improvement of day to day life. So I, I think just the in the very short period of time that the generative technologies have been available, most people have tried them out if you're if they're at all tech curious. And it's very easy to get a visceral understanding of where this type of, uh, of technology is going to be of, in, uh, of incredible benefit as we sort of navigate the administrative tasks of medicine. And, that, and that's the 
up to this point has been one of the crux problems uh, of, it, of reducing administrative tax in medicine is there's, there's not very many pure admin tasks. If you're doing robotic process automation, as an example, and you're looking at RevCycle, um, there's a whole lot of, hey, you got to move this sum over to this column in this different spreadsheet, or you got to move this you know, payer adjudication from here to here. And that's a fairly black and white automation and, and a fairly black and white mappable administrative task without a lot of sort of variability that would require uh, a, a human in a loop or a attended process. There's not a whole lot of those true administrative tasks on the clinical front lines. There are administrative tasks, but they always are, to, you know, to a large degree, they require some level of clinical discernment. There may be other folks in the office who can apply clinical knowledge, but they're just not true admin tasks only. And I think that that's where this ability to kind of stack technologies you know, be it the generative plus, autom- you, know, tr- you know, true automation technologies plus data science strategies, adding those things together um, and stacking them and, and allowing them to be referential to one another is going to go after those mixed use problems in, in the um, admin space of, of healthcare. Yeah, thank you. Brian, just so you know, I, I took us in an AI direction while nice. your internet went down. So I asked an audience question, but I'm glad you're back and let the doctors handle it. Awesome. Thank you, Spencer. Yes, apologize. One of the joys of uh, being on the road in a hotel mm. is uh, inconsistent Wi-Fi. Well, Damon, do, you know, just a few more questions here. I mean, this has been awesome. You know, one of the um, projects, you know, that you guys did at Mercy was um, something called uh, wherefore.care. Yeah, that was a that was actually a um, startup that I was involved in. So that was okay. an, that wasn't a Mercy uh, right. initiative, um, but that was something that came out of that uh, Sling Health uh, collaborative yeah. and, and that group that you had mentioned earlier. So you know th- that was some time ago. Uh, it was a great foray into it is more chatbot. It had some natural language processing, um, but it you know it was less of the what we think of as as conversational interface today. Um, with with all of these new technologies, but um, it was very squarely in the the utilization, effective and appropriate utilization realm. So the the goal of that product was, hey, can we point someone based on level of acuity to the the right care setting? Um, and, and so again, and can we help them, physician organization, health system, being successful in executing on their value based strategies? It was something that right now, um, you know, those solutions are far and wide and, and lots of folks are, are moving, um, you know, their suite of software to those types of answers for patients. But at the time, it was a great uh, learning opportunity because it wasn't something that was on everyone's radar. Yeah. Uh, and it was a novel approach to it. And so we had conversations with medical directors and they, you know, were obviously a little bit put off by the idea, wait, somebody's going to tell my patient that and it's not me, whether or not that they should go to the ER and it's not a person, it's, you know, it's actually in technology. So that exposure to something that was maybe right tech, wrong time was a great innovation learning opportunity. It was, it was really fascinating to understand, hey, this is absolutely a useful idea and a really needed a uh, solution, 
but then you know there's the practical aspects of of uh, selling into a system and um, the, the the sales cycle on healthcare. And so those are lessons that being on that side of it, when we do mentorship with uh, digital health companies that are in that startup arena, it's great to be able to tell them here's here's what you can expect, especially yeah. if they are sitting at that at that bleeding edge and it is something that is absolutely necessary, but people are going to view it as a little bit ahead of its time, or they're just, you know, they, they haven't quite wrapped their head around it. So, yeah. Well, you serve on the board of a number of different digital health startups, any that you may want to highlight? Yeah, there's a couple. And I, I usually say yes to those types of engagements when it's something that is fairly unique and niche and, and obviously of great interest to me. One company that is a St. Louis startup that that I've advised for quite some time is a group called Hive, H-I-V-E, and they are um, a, a device company that's essentially remote biometric monitoring for IV lines. So things like pick lines for hospital at home, um, they're kind of uh, pivoting and looking into a new use case in, uh, in central line infection uh, monitoring because they think they have something that is is novel uh, in regards to how the technology actually works and where it sits. But, you know, if we, again, it's, it's this, it's this matrixed uh, use case, but, you know, for um, utilization, keeping people that have an osteomyelitis from ending up back in the hospital because, you know, they don't do that third pick infusion. And how do you know that, um, you know, if the, if home health is going out every once in a while. So um, they're just a, a pretty fascinating company, um, a group called Carolist, that is going after the opportunity space of we have all of these physicians that are not just physicians, providers have unique backgrounds um, and they can be superheroes, but those are those are skill sets that may not be known um, when you're looking for a position. So, you know, if you have a, a particular background that gives you um, more of an ability to address sexual assault. Well, that may not be something that goes on your traditional find a provider uh, website. Um, and so th- this is something that is a, a differentiator for, for health systems and provider organizations that can really highlight those unique areas of skills that, that their clinicians can bring to the table. That is something that, you know, given current state of affairs and, and the certain populations that, you know, that might feel, I really have a hard time going to the doctor. Um, knowing that you know this is uh, this is a, a doc that you know has a community that is that has kind of weighed in, or they're you know specifically um, you know here the background that, that adds to the value of what you think of when you think of a, a provider in a, in a health system is is pretty fascinating. And then the last one that I'm that I'm on the board of that that is uh, really you know, super interesting is a group called Cardio Diagnostic Holdings. Their technology. Essentially, what I think of it is the hemoglobin A1C for coronary artery disease. So it, it's something that is, you know, both a, a marker of uh, disease and then, you know, the ability to to track progression or uh, or improvement over time, and in a very intuitive, straightforward way, uh, and something that can be expanded to all, you know, large large numbers of uh, uh, patient populations, and then. You know, let's not forget uh, Care Gauge, uh, which is something that is cl- you know close to your heart, obviously, and something that I'm advocating for inside of Mercy because it's just such a unique and focused solution 
to the problem of exposing our, our providers to utilization data, we we can't address what we don't measure or or allow um, insight into. So it's uh, it's definitely something that is uh, really uh, you know I think uh, a kind of a slam dunk. Well, and it, and where we're so excited about it is you know the the change in behavior that we see because when doctors get re- utilization reports, you know, three months, six months after the fact, it, it doesn't change behavior. And the fact that we're giving doctors data real time and those insights real time, you know, we're seeing those changes in behavior and and that's what's been really cool about that product. So, uh, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. It, you know, resonates with so many of the in technology innovations that we are putting into place. It's really taking something that's obtuse and shrouded um, and exposing it in a way that is understandable. Super important. We start looking at predictive models and we start looking at these care recommendations um, that we're going to have to be very conscientious of how we build those things so that we're not removing the clinician intuition and that knowledge base, um, you know, and offering up something that they can't vet. I need to strike the balance between you know, both something that's transparent and also something that's efficient, you know, in, in, in transformational. Well, Damon, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, was hoping that uh, we could do this one in person, but obviously weren't able to make it work from a scheduling perspective. But thank you for doing this virtually. You know, happy to have the folks who are able to join us today uh, live join us. And uh, of course, we'll be posting this recording online and, and on the Evidence Care website. And so, Damon, thank you so much again, and uh, great seeing you. Pleasure speaking with you, Brian. Have a great day. Thanks. You too.